0: This is
1: only a test. This is test. This is test. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of The Uncover Up. My name is Lee Kunle and with me in the bunker is Nathan Radke.
2: I am here in the bunker, as I always am.
1: Yes, as you always are.
2: With a selection of... Weird old Soviet guitars. And, and
1: a selection of weird little conspiracies. Because yes. what we're doing today is another junk drawer episode where we take conspiracies that are maybe not big enough to spin into a whole hour-long episode. Although if anybody could do it, it would be us. Yeah. I have to just give us kudos for that.
2: If we had tried a bit harder, <laughs> these <laughs> would have been full episodes.
1: But we're going to do a, short, a set of short conspiracies today where we look at things that we've encountered in our research, I think, for other conspiracies. And we're like, oh, that's an interesting thing. And so we're going to bring those up today and talk about them.
2: Yeah, they're all things that made us go,
1: hmm. Hmm. Remember Arsenio Hall had that bit? Things that make you go, hmm.
2: Arsenio Hall. Yeah, I know. That's that's a reference nobody gets. Lee was born in the 70s. Yep. And because Lee was born in the 70s...
1: Ooh, segue Nathan Radke.
2: All right, I'm going to grab something out of the junk drawer here. Right, hold on. Right. It's like
1: a raffle box.
2: There we go. And what I've pulled out is Phil Collins. Phil Collins. Phil Collins. You, of course, as a child of the 70s, know of Phil Collins. I know of Phil Collins. He was the drummer for the police, right? No. Genesis. Genesis. Sorry.
1: Sorry. I always get those confused. So now
2: we've offended the young listeners by talking about (laughs) Phil Collins at all. We've offended the old listeners by By asserting that he was the drummer for police.
1: Genesis, police. Yeah, I'm sorry. I think that's true. So
2: now that everybody is angry, let me explain something about Phil Collins. Okay. So this, this segment, it's not about something that really happened. Okay. It also really isn't about a conspiracy theory.
1: Oh, (laughs) So you've chosen a good one to start start us off.
2: But it is something interesting that can teach us about conspiracy theory. Okay. You'll see. All right. Because it's an urban legend.
1: Okay. Do we need a definition?
2: Yeah, that's probably a good idea. So urban legend, it's like a modern industrialized version of folklore. Okay. Every society ever, like every time period, human beings tell stories. Right. There is not a culture that doesn't have stories. Okay. And sometimes they're written down. Sometimes they're passed on through the spoken word. But regardless of how they're passed on, stories are just a fundamental part of what makes humans human. Mm-hmm. And the urban legend is kind of like this modern version of folklore that shows up in around 1920. They are always presented as, now this really happened. They're not just sort of goofy anecdotes. This is right. like, no, this is a thing that happened.
1: Right. And it's, they're generally oral narratives. That is to say, they, they're told as opposed to being written down. Is that right?
2: Yeah, they tend to be. Uh, certainly, this one was because it happened in the 1980s. Okay. Phil Collins, uh, as you said, drummer for Genesis. Genesis. Of course, in, that is what I said. Yeah, that's what he said. We're going <laughs> to... So, in January 1981... Phil Collins leaves Genesis, Genesis to start a solo career. To start right? a solo career, which was wildly successful. If you grew up in the eighties, like Phil Collins' songs filled the airwaves, they blocked out the sun. It was all Phil Collins all the time.
1: Yeah. I seem to remember his music being played at some like grade eight dance.
2: Yeah, that sounds right. Maybe Sue Su Studio. I can't remember. No.
1: Never a big fan, to be
2: honest. Ah, but do you remember the nineteen eighty one hit In the Air Tonight? Yes. Now, this is a moody, sort of weird, dark song. Yep. That eventually has this epic drum solo. Right. If you haven't heard it, I'm going to give you some of the lyrics. And I Oh, my God. About- You're going to sing? Yes. I've never heard you sing. Because you've never come to see any of our shows. No, I... No, oh, that's true, too. Oh, yeah. So what we've done is, because I didn't think we could actually play this song, so we've recorded, like, a bootleg version of this song. Okay. So I'll play a bit of that now. So here are some of the lyrics to this song. Well, if you told me you were drowning, I would not lend a hand. I've seen your face before, my friend, but I don't know if you know who I am. Well, I was there and I saw what you did. I saw it with my own two eyes. So you can wipe off that grin. I know where you've been. It's all been a pack of lies. And I can feel it coming in the air tonight. Oh, Lord. Okay. And so on. Okay. You know the song. It was
1: huge. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I ever really paid attention to the lyrics,
2: Uh, like I am now. And the reason that you didn't pay attention to the lyrics is because, unlike a lot of the other old people I've talked to in the last little while, you didn't hear this urban legend. Okay. When I was a kid at recess, there was a story that one of the older kids told us, and I remember this day. This is what went down. Phil Collins was standing on a bridge by the ocean, and he saw someone out in the ocean drowning and calling for help. But... Phil Collins was up on a bridge. He, he couldn't get down. He couldn't get to the person. He couldn't get there in time. But fortunately, standing on the shore near the drowning man was another man. Okay. Who could easily have gone in and helped the person. Right. And so Phil Collins called out to the man to rescue the drowning person, but the other person didn't do it. They huh. just stood there as that person drowned in the ocean. Right. Collins, of course, was furious about this and somehow wasn't part of the story. We'll get to that. Learned that bystander's identity. Uh Uh-huh. okay. Found out who he was, tracked him down. Okay. And recorded this song, In the Air Tonight, about this whole incident, about this guy letting someone else drown. Okay. So, according to this story, what Phil Collins does is he finds the man, he gives him tickets to one of his shows and makes sure that this guy, this bystander who let a person drown, he's sitting right in the front row. Okay. And then during the performance of In the Air Tonight... Phil Collins turned a spotlight on the man right in the middle of the show, at which point he was arrested and taken away by policemen who had been waiting for the signal from Collins.
1: Yay!
2: Yay! So that story doesn't ring a bell for you? Not
1: at all. Now, I I have to say, I didn't come to Canada until 86. right. So uh, it's it's this weird thing where I kind of get plopped into... North American popular culture in 86 and some seminal moments have
2: passed me by at that point So you missed this that's interesting because I've talked to a lot of people and a lot of people about our age Yeah, uh, aka very old (laughs) Yeah, great. They they remember (laughs) this they but what's interesting and this is where it starts to get into a bit of conspiracy theory analysis Yeah, is do you think that they all have the same story?
1: Probably not I mean, especially since you started out saying this is an urban legend, the way urban legends tend to develop is you get various versions of them. Yeah. I mean, that even happens with real stories. True. You know, even when people see a car accident and then you go back and talk to them a few weeks later, you get varying versions of them that vary quite dramatically. about Like key
2: elements. Okay. so Because because repetition involves mutation yeah replication you're going to see that you're not going to see perfect replication of information right so i yeah there's different versions so there's a bunch of different versions of this story and just in the last couple weeks when i've been talking to people about this uh sometimes after the spotlight incident the man isn't arrested but instead is divorced by his wife and loses his job okay sometimes he takes his own life right after the concert right okay now, we shouldn't be surprised that an urban legend is that grim. Urban legends tend to be extremely grim because it makes them more memorable and more yeah. likely that we pass them on.
1: They're often morality tales, aren't they? Yeah. Urban legends, like they have a, this bad thing happened to a bad person because of the bad thing that they did. Exactly. Don't be like that person. Yeah. And in this one, it's like, go help, you know, be a good Samaritan, go help somebody who's in trouble.
2: That's right. Or Phil Collins or is Phil, coming for you. <laughs>
1: exactly. We'll write a song about you.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, In some versions, it happened when Phil Collins was just a kid. Uh, There's some other fairly different versions. There's one that it was Phil Collins who allowed someone to drown, but only because the drowning man had assaulted somebody that Phil Collins knew. Okay. There's another one that Phil Collins was the one who almost drowned while some guy stood on a dock and did nothing. Right, okay. Now, what do all of these stories have in common? None of them are true. Right, 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 right. Like, none of them. There is not even anything remotely true to any of those.
1: Not that I, I'm looking for a way to disprove this urban legend, but does Phil Collins ever go on record to talk about oh, what yeah. the song was about? And yeah, what because, he was... because
2: this urban legend was big enough that people have talked to Phil Collins about it. Okay. And he's like, uh, I was angry at a woman. Right, okay. So <laughs> that was it. Right, right, right. Here we have something that didn't happen, not really a conspiracy theory, but it's still a really useful thing for us to examine. For one thing, as we've just said, it's an excellent example of mutation through reproduction. And this is something that also happens to conspiracy theories. Mm. There is one conspiracy theory. We've never done an episode on it. But it's this idea that there are these FEMA death camps.
1: Yes. Well, wait, we're going to do a con- uh, uh, an episode on that in an oh, upcoming yeah. show.
2: We definitely are going to get to the FEMA death camps. But this one's often attached, if it's an email, it's, an atta- it's attached to a very specific photograph of a guy standing beside a bunch of coffin liners in a field. Yeah, like thousands of them. And you've seen that picture. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting is that picture, throughout the years, the picture stays the same, but the story attached to it keeps shifting. Right. Like, back when Obama was president, I got that email, and it's like, oh, Obama's going to bring Ebola into America to kill people. Here's the proof. Look at all these coffins. Yeah,
1: and wasn't there a version of that uh, around COVID?
2: Yeah, of course. Yeah, about that, around COVID and then around the vaccine. And then around the vaccine. Same yeah. picture, same guy standing yeah, yeah, with yeah, yeah, the yeah. coffins, but the story keeps mutating to keep up with the times right. and just because it's being wow. reproduced. And of course, the truth is, that's a photograph of a guy at a coffin liner factory. Right. That's why there's a bunch of coffin liners there. They make them. Right. So that's one thing. But there's a couple other things that we haven't talked about before that I, I realized this Phil Collins story makes me think about. There's a game that I like to play when I'm watching a film. And I call it, What Happened Off Screen? Ooh, that's so, an interesting game. Yeah, so here's how it works. You're watching a movie, and it can be kind of amusing if you ask yourself, okay, so let's say that this isn't a movie, it's real life. Right. What would have had to have happened off screen in order for this scene to happen?
1: Oh, I like that.
2: So I'll give you an example, a really simple example. You have a scene where somebody gets into a car and drives off. And then you see them pull into a new location and they arrive. Mm -hmm. So what must have happened off screen is they drove. Yes. And you can see why they edit that out. Right. It's not very interesting. Right. But it would have had to have happened. Right. They get in the car, they drive, they don't show that, and then they arrive. If you apply that same logic to a lot of normal movie tropes that we often see, then it it gets kind of hilarious. like. You've often seen this in a film where there's a tense situation. There's like a discussion between people. They're talking about something important. The stakes are really high. Maybe there's no hope that that they can succeed at whatever they're trying to do. And someone will be like, surely no one would be crazy enough to like to go through with something like this. And just as they say that, somebody walks into the room and is like, I would be. It's a great (laughs) moment. And everybody cheers. And it's like, hooray. That's
1: great. So that person was outside, listening at the door, just waiting for their moment to, <laughs> to come in and, and make that pronouncement.
2: Exactly. Either they were just lurking outside the room, waiting for <laughs> someone to say something so they could walk in and be awesome, or they were maybe late for the meeting. And so they're like rushing through the hallway being like, oh no, I hope right. nobody says something that'll set me up in an awesome way. <laughs> but either way, that's goofy. It's, it's silly. And it, and it sort of, it defuses those scenes instead of looking like interesting and and dramatic it's it's goofy right another example anytime in a slasher movie there's a killer like waiting in a weird location you open up a, a a cupboard and they jump out and they stab you right well then we have to ask ourselves how long was that killer there
1: yeah and also like the thought process to even get them into that place like what were they doing before that they yeah. were like Okay, they wake it up in the morning, they make their coffee, they're yeah, they like, stretch.
2: Okay. Yeah, stretch. Yeah, yeah. What, what am I doing today?
1: Right. Oh, I should go over to that house and sit there for an indeterminate amount of time and just just wait with my axe or whatever.
2: Yeah. And
1: <laughs> I think I'm going to enjoy slasher movies a lot more Oh, yeah, now.
2: it makes movies so much fun and it makes you intolerable to watch a movie with.
1: <laughs> I can see that.
2: Because <laughs> you'll be like, well, how long was that guy in that closet for? And did he, like, go to different closets and try different things? Right, right, was he right. like, should I jump out of the fridge?
1: He probably had to wait in one closet for too long. He got bored after yeah. a couple of hours. He's like,
2: this, no one's coming to this closet. And what's he doing while he's in the closet? Is he got, like, his phone out? He's playing Candy Crush. Yeah, like, what's yeah. going on here? No, I like
1: this. This is good.
2: Anytime there's a romantic scene with tons of candles, which happens in romantic films, I'm told. I don't watch them myself. You can ask, where did they buy all these candles from? When did they light them? Right. Did they get romantic, move into this room, and then the person's like, hold up. Took out like a bag, like a shopping bag full of candles, and set them all up, and then lit them. In and order the other to person
1: light. like falls asleep in the other room, waiting. Yeah, if they're tea lights, they'll probably go out. Oh yeah. By the time you get the last one lit, you're gonna start again at the first one.
2: Exactly. It's an interesting way of looking at film in kind of like a more analytic way. But, but
1: now I've lost the I've lost why we were doing this because I was having so much fun with this game.
2: Because we should ask the same question of urban legends and of conspiracy theories. What happened off screen? What would have had to have happened off screen for this conspiracy theory to be true? I'll give you an example of a real famous one. Yeah. Paul McCartney is dead and has been replaced by a copy. Right. What are some of the things that would have had to have happened off screen for that conspiracy theory to be true?
1: Right, 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 right.
2: For example, imagine somebody coming up to his family and being like, uh, so here's the thing. Your <laughs> yeah. Paul McCartney, your loved one. He's dead. Right. But Died in a car, car crash. Died in a car crash. Uh, but don't worry, we've got a
1: replacement. <laughs> yeah. and, and here's what we want you to
2: do. Could you do us a solid and just live with him for the rest of your life and pretend that he's Paul McCartney? Right. When you imagine that scene happening, you're like, well, that couldn't happen. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Then that conspiracy falls apart. Sure. So, yeah, asking ourselves what happened off screen. We look at this Phil Collins story. Imagine what would have had to have happened off screen. If, say, well, let's go with my original version. Yep. So he watches from a bridge. Somebody's watching somebody drown. Phil Collins would have had to have found out who the guy was. Yeah, which is What's hard. What's your name? Yeah. How is he going to do that? And I then mean, he, he
1: might have had, he, he would have somehow gotten down there. Yep. Followed him in his car to where he lives.
2: Yeah. Then. And, and then written a song recorded that song, produced that song, put out the album. Right. Goes out on tour. Gets him tickets. Gets him tickets.
1: When they happen to be touring in that guy's hometown. In that guy's
2: hometown. And here's my favorite bit, the cops.
1: Yeah, why were they going to arrest him now?
2: Yeah. I'll be Phil Collins, you be the cops. Okay. Hello, this
1: is the police station.
2: Hello, listen, this is Phil Collins. Okay. So, a year and a half ago... (laughs) <laughs> which is how long it took me to record this album and, and distribute it. I watched a guy watch a guy drown. Now, here's what I would like you to do. I have all the information for who he is, but could you do me a favor? Don't arrest him because I want to arrest him at my concert. So could you send some police to the concert? I'm going to sing this song and I'm going to turn on a spotlight and then I want you to arrest whoever that spotlight is on. Is, is is that how cops work? Is this... Is this? Will this work? No. No.
1: I had my bike stolen a few years ago. I had a suspicion of who it was. Mm-hmm. For one thing, they had left bits of the bike in front of their house. Ah. They live just a couple of streets, no, a couple of houses down from where I live. And this person has a reputation in the neighborhood has been caught going through people's cars at night, uh, you know, lurking in people's backyards. So I went to the police station, which is also on my street, and I said, this is what happened. And I was very cautious about it. I said, look, here's what I think happened. And they just were like, no, sorry, this is not evidence. You can't come in here. They said this to me. You can't come in here and just accuse somebody
2: of a crime. Here's what should have happened instead. You be you. Okay. I'll be the cops. I can do that. Yeah, you be you. Yep. Hello, this is the cops. Hi,
1: this is Lee. (laughs) This is falling apart. Lee, are you you high? (laughs) Not at the moment, officer. Okay, carry on then. Somebody stole my bike. I think it was a person who lives a couple of doors down from me because... I saw bits of my bike on his front yard, and he is known in the neighborhood as being somebody because you guys have had dealings with him.
2: Oh, uh, okay. Well, uh, Lee, is it? Yes. Let me ask you some questions. You know who this guy is? Yes. Have you written a song about it?
1: I have not written a song about
2: it. Okay, well, I mean, this is standard operating procedure for cops. <laughs> this is what we need you to do. record a so- Write and record a song about it. Produce it on an album. Okay. Go on tour. Okay. Give okay. him tickets to that show. <laughs> And then when you get to the point in the song where you talk about how he stole your bike, we want you to turn on a spotlight. And then, this is how it works, one of our officers will come and arrest that man.
1: And you're right. like A lot of conspiracies have such an outrageous backstory, I guess, or off-scene story, that when you factor in what would have to happen, and we've done this in the past, I think, when we wondered how many people would have to be involved, for example. If the moon landing were faked, how many tens of thousands of people would have to keep their mouths shut for decades upon decades. So many other conspiracies, you're absolutely right, just fall apart by the complexity of...
2: Or the ridiculousness.
1: uh, Yeah, usually both. Mm -hmm. I guess the complexity and ridiculousness are kind of related to each other in that sense, because once it gets too complex, it's just ridiculous.
2: Now, of course, we should always say, though, that sometimes something is ridiculous and it's true.
1: Right. I was going to say this works all times until you start dealing with CIA
2: history or KGB history. And And then then it's like, no, these off-screen things did happen. (laughs) Well, for that to be true, there'd have to be some CIA agent with a martini sitting behind a one-way mirror recording (laughs) a guy who had been dosed with acid against his will. It's like, yeah, but that that actually did happen. One last thing. We're getting a lot out of this Bill Collins uh, story. Can we spin it into an hour after all? Maybe. Maybe this is the Phil Collins hour. (laughs) We are bad at metaphors.
1: Yeah. When I came to the bunker today, Nathan gave me a magazine called The 14 Times, which has a lot of these great stories in it, but... One of the things that struck me while I was reading it was there are some people in these articles who I feel like don't get metaphor yeah. at all. Like I feel like that is a, a subgenre of conspiracy theories get developed by people who just suck at metaphors.
2: And so what, what do we mean when we say that? In this song, it says, if you told me you were drowning, I would not lend a hand. Now, that's just a way of saying, I don't like you. Like I'd be willing to see you die. It's a terrible thing to say.
1: Right. If you were on fire... What is it? If I wouldn't you... urinate on you. Right.
2: Yeah. And so That's
1: not to say you are actually on fire.
2: Exactly. Or that I need to urinate. But people heard that and it's like, okay, so then therefore he this person must have let someone else drown and this and this and this. And it is amazing in my time spent in and around certain cults because they see the world as we all do through our own goggles they see the world through their very specific goggles, and so then everything has to do with their worldview that comes through this this yeah. cult. And it is remarkable how often I'm presented with song lyrics as evidence. Really? A song that talks about, oh, I'll always be watching you. They'll say, see, that's clearly a reference to Satan. Oh, Notice actually,
1: the- now that you mentioned that, in our last episode about Alternative 3, somebody used the Frank Sinatra song, Take Me to the Moon, right. in which... There was also a line, and to Mars. And he's like, see, see? that proves right there in the that, song. We ha- that he, in fact, Frank Sinatra, was taken to Mars and right. shown the, the bases and all that.
2: Exactly. And so you can see why I decided to talk about Phil Collins. Okay. We got a lot out of it. We did.
1: We, we, we got a lot out of that one.
2: All right. It's time for you to reach into the junk drawer and all pick right. something out.
1: Let's see what we got. That's an interesting one. In China, there is a conspiracy that COVID-19 is a U.S. bioweapon.
2: No, you got that wrong. In America, there's a conspiracy (laughs) that that COVID is a Chinese bioweapon. You You read that wrong.
1: There is also that conspiracy. And I guess that is my morality tale when talking about this conspiracy. Because you already got most of the background to this conspiracy that I'm going to provide. I'll give you a little bit more. But I wanted to talk about how conspiracies are often quite regional and also...
2: They come from a specific perspective.
1: Right. And I was thinking they participates in a certain political agenda. And as you say, a certain kind of maybe cultural chauvinism. It's not us, it's them. Of course, we have encountered that with COVID-19 and the theories of it came out of this Wuhan lab and it was you know it was leaked out of the lab and well,
2: which is possible
1: well and and because of this so actually this ties in precisely into this conspiracy that it was actually out of Fort Detrick we'll get there in a second ah. but Biden US President Biden summoned a commission to look into like what happened was this humanly generated or was this just you know, an accident where somebody got in contact with an infected animal. And as a kind of getting ahead of the publicity game, China, just before the report was released, had their own spin on it, which is that, no, in fact, this leaked out of a U.S. lab. So I, I, I'm I, just
2: going to give you... The classic, uh, he who smelted, dealt Exactly, it today, right?
1: exactly. So this is actually from an article... In the BBC, and if anybody is interested in getting it, it was August 23rd, 2001. Chinese propagandists have pushed a conspiracy suggesting that COVID-19 virus was made and leaked from the military installation in Frederick, Maryland, about 80 kilometers, 50 miles, north of Washington, D.C. So we're talking about Fort Detrick.
2: Which is a location of all sorts of sketchy, shady Stuff.
1: Yeah. So I was going to ask you to maybe fill in our listeners who don't know about Fort Detrick. What is it and why does it have this weird reputation?
2: Well, during the Cold War, uh, the CIA was using Fort Detrick to work on several bioweapons, chemical weapons. Like this, this legitimately is a place where they were doing some top level absolute shenanigans having to do with weaponizing chemical and biological agents. And so, again, to say, oh, I think something sketchy came out of Fort Detrick, if I hear that, I'm like, I'm willing to listen to the rest of this. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's not that far-fetched. Yeah.
1: This is the theory, and I'll give you another quote from the BBC article. This was now in response to the Biden report. China has gone on the offensive. In the past few weeks, Chinese sources have been amplifying a baseless claim that COVID-19 was made in the U.S., Using everything from rap music to fake Facebook posts, experts say the propaganda efforts have been successful at convincing the domestic Chinese audience to cast skepticism on international criticism of the country's role in the COVID-19 pandemic.
2: I mean, as soon as we're done here, I'm going to search for some of those rap music songs.
1: Well, I did. Oh
2: boy, how are they?
1: Well, they are terrible. Uh. What's really weird about the rap music is that it's in English. So they rap in English, but there are Chinese rappers and there's Chinese subtitles, huh. but the rap is in English. And I'm sure this is not the only one. This uh, specific rap group, which unfortunately, the name of which I, I don't have in front of me, is actually, what's the word? It's a, it's an organ of state propaganda. Like they, t- they talk about, for example, I did see this song where they talked about Hong Kong's desire for separation and how this is baseless and how this is like being generated by Western you know, factions trying to cause schism was within Chinese society. And they questioned a lot about Hong Kong, quote unquote, democracy and how if democracy means all these things, then no thank you. It was an interesting, it was really interesting to watch. Unfortunately, I didn't get to see the, the one about uh, COVID-19 coming out of Fort Detrick.
2: I mean, already there's a lot to unpack here. That's already kind of amazing that amongst the, the weapons that the Chinese government has in its arsenal yeah. is that they're promoting hip hop songs. Yeah. And yeah. that they're like, basically, like they probably created this group as, as like agents of the Chinese government in order to spread this information. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. And, and obviously we see the same thing. Like, think about how many Hollywood movies you've seen where at the end they thank the U.S. Navy or the U.S. Right. Army. I mean, it's a very similar thing. They're they're functioning as propaganda.
1: And sometimes they don't, but they were funded by them. Yeah. Right? Like, wasn't Top Gun basically funded?
2: Top Top Gun, yeah, especially the original Top Gun. And as we've talked about before, they were talking about airplanes. we talked about before. They actually... Airplane
1: movies very different. There's airplanes in it.
2: <laughs> they actually had recruiters waiting in the movie theaters. Wow. For people to leave and be like, I want to fly the F-14 Tomcat. Right. Even though what they don't show in the movie is that the F-14, especially the F-14 A... No, no, A's, no. This is being
1: edited out so hard. Damn it. I don't even care. Okay. So, but yeah, I then typed into my Google search engine COVID-19 Fort Detrick. Now... Over the last couple of years, since there's been a bunch of pushback about the algorithms and disinformation and the harms that that caused, say, with the vaccine rollout and COVID, the algorithms have been changed. But I was shocked to see that the first couple of hits when I put that in were state-sponsored Chinese propaganda outlets, including a a source that I had not encountered before, the Global Times and it had an article in it so the global times at least the so- the site that i access is an english language chinese news outlet but it's like state news so
2: this is the information that the Chinese mainland government wants you to have.
1: As a Chinese citizen. Yeah. So I was watching some of their videos, and they had you know, like concentric circles around Fort Detrick about how the, how the pandemic was spreading with it at the center, and all the city names were in Chinese character. So it's not really meant for an international audience, although the site is in English. At least the one I accessed was in English. Anyway, it has a headline there, quote, why U.S. lab needs to be investigated for COVID-19 origins. That was just one of the news sources I encountered. Xinhua Net reports that, quote, The sudden shutdown of the Fort Detrick lab in the United States and the pneumonia outbreak that followed are far from coincidental and should be studied in the scope of ongoing investigation into the pandemic's origins, a Russian political observer has said. Uh. There, too, we also get a little bit of the shifting allegiances, you know, Russia and China kind of— Who
2: historically have not gotten along well at all.
1: No, despite the fact that during the Cold War, they were seen as a monolith, right? There was the great—
2: Because they were all commies. They
1: were all commies, so they must all be best buddies and and collaborating against the capitalist West. So anyway, this conspiracy seems to be perpetuated from the top down, like— There are diplomats, foreign ministers, people in the official bureaucracy within the Chinese government that are claiming that COVID-19 is a U.S. bioweapon from Fort Detrick. And I personally found this interesting for a number of reasons. So one of them is just how regional our conspiracies often are. If you are only in a North American context and you hear that COVID-19 leaked out of a, a Chinese lab, then, well, what else you got to go on? But I find when you hear the same conspiracy, but with, where the characters are replaced by other characters, but the idea is the same. So now instead of the Chinese and a Chinese lab, it's the Americans and American lab. And who knows, maybe the Indians are blaming the Pakistanis and the Pakistanis are blaming the Afghans. And the, you know, who knows, right? It could go on forever, where for me, that relativizes sometimes the claims of the conspiracy. Not to say that you can use this as actual evidence for it not being true, but I remember seeing this when we did our episode on the vaccine scare and how that has a history of 150 years behind it. And the same claims about the dangers of vaccines that were being made in 1880 in Leicester, England are the ones that were being made in 1950 or in the 1990s or with COVID. And for me, I find that uh, is one of the takeaways from this.
2: Yeah, for sure. We can't escape the fact that there are some conspiracy theories, in fact, maybe quite a few conspiracy theories that are engineered as weapons, like as propaganda. And again, this is a problem because people who are interested in conspiracy theories, it tends to be because they want to know what the truth is. And what we have to be extremely careful about is sometimes that desire can be used against us to manipulate us by feeding us false conspiracy theories that actually get us further away from the truth. Right, exactly. Or at the very least, muddy the water. Like, it's going to be almost impossible to figure out the origins of COVID-19. It's like trying to figure out UFOs. There's so much disinformation, there's so much misinformation coming from all sides that it really muddies the waters and it makes it very difficult to actually figure out what happened. There's so many political forces involved and that, that's an interesting example of that. And it also shows you it's kind of like every place on the earth has like their own cuisine. And, right. and their own conspiracy theories. Right,
1: right. Which are remarkably the same as everybody else's conspiracy theories just with the actors. Yeah. But are you ready for a twist?
2: Oh, man. Maybe
1: in, in researching this, I discovered that Fort Detrick was shut down in 2019. Huh? They actually were shut down for a number of weeks. The CDC, the Center for Disease Control, came in, did an audit of their policies and practices, and shut them down. And then there was, in fact, a pneumonia outbreak that was suspiciously, you know, linked with uh, vaping. And then, you know things kind of spiraled out of control and at, at least in in North America 2019 are the the very early rumblings of our our actual encounter with covid. Yeah. Right? The shutdowns here happen in I think it was March 2020, but 2019 already the first cases and you know stuff like that. And that's where I watched that video on Global, Global Times where they had Fort Dietrich in the center and this sort of outbreak, oh, Maryland, there's these people getting pneumonia, and then those people are getting pneumonia. Isn't it weird? And then suddenly COVID has hit the scenes.
2: I mean, a couple of things to say about that. One, Fort Dietrich probably should have been shut down 60 years before that. Like they really got up to some nonsense. Two, I mean, it's fascinating to see these these groups, like the Chinese mainland government or the American government, Actively trying to drive the narrative. Yeah, like trying to get the information out there. We want this to be the story. It's like a PR exercise. Yeah, it's it's quite extraordinary to see how hard they're working to get access to our beliefs. Right, right. And to influence our beliefs.
1: And they didn't. The, at least the American government didn't do itself any favor. And I, maybe this is another lesson I take from this, because when they were when they shut down Fort Detrick. They gave one of these bland explanations of quote security
2: concerns. Right, that's not going to convince and, anybody.
1: And not only does it not convince anybody, it's this it's this black box where you can project anything you want. You can say, well, it's because they were messing around with a bioweapon that went out of control or, or they have aliens or whatever your brand and flavor of conspiracy theory might be.
2: And not only that, if you then as an honest interested person say, well, I'm going to look into Fort Detrick. Right. It's like, holy cow. Right, exactly. Like Dr. Frank Olson this, exactly. and like LSD that, yeah, and yeah, Bioweapon yeah. this.
1: And your first ten hits on Google are, you know, state propaganda from other countries convincing you also that,
2: yeah, this is super shady. Boy, we don't have a chance, do we?
1: <laughs> anyway, that was mine.
2: Huh. Good one. All right, I'm going to grab another one out of the junk drawer here. way back there. Got it. This is a moral panic story. Oh, I like these. Yeah, this is sort of your wheelhouse. Yep. What is a moral panic? It's when you
1: worry that there is a group within your group within society that is deliberately undermining the society or the culture. So think witches in Salem think communists in 1950s white picket fence America
2: capitalist in the Soviet Union exactly uh Satanists in the 80s yeah and that's where we're going this is a moral panic story from the 80s and so unsurprisingly Satanists Satan, gotta be Satan not just Satanists but Satan himself is in this one oh nice and it's it's always fascinating to look back at moral panics yeah and here's one of the main reasons why I like to do this they they don't tend to age well. No,
1: they don't. You're right. <laughs> like these people
2: get super worked up, and by these people, I mean us, us right. people. We get super worked up about something. It seems like the most important thing ever. And then you look back from twenty years, or thirty years, or forty years, and you're like, no, that was that was nothing.
1: Even the people of Salem, after the murder of nineteen of their citizens, when the panic subsided, they it, were kind it was of aba- awkward. They, it was awkward. It was really awkward to say awkward. the least.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're told that something is a grave and immediate threat to our society. Then we look back at it from our high perches here in the future, and it seems kind of absurd and ridiculous. Not this one, though. This one isn't absurd and ridiculous. No, not like the rest of them. Because this one's about He-Man and the Smurfs. Oh, awesome.
1: Two things, being a child of the 70s and 80s. Well, born in the 70s, child of the 80s. That was my diet of television. It yeah. was
2: He-Man and the Smurfs. See, I wasn't sure, because you're Europeanness. I wasn't sure about He-Man, but I knew that the Smurfs, I mean, what's more European than that?
1: Yeah. Smurfs are awesome.
2: Yeah. Well, we'll or are they? We'll get to it. <laughs> or are they demons? So we'll get to the Smurfs in a second. I want to start off with He-Man. Okay. Do we need anything for younger listeners? I think so. I don't know if He-Man has any cultural capital now. So He-Man was a toy line and a comic book and a cartoon show. Yep. And one of the worst movies ever made. Maybe. No, it was. Have you seen it? I have, but I've also seen a lot of other movies that were... This one's the worst. Although it does bizarrely (laughs) have this amazing performance by Frank Langella as Skeletor.
1: Skeletor is a pretty cool character.
2: Yeah. The premise of this toy was that there was a planet named Eternia, which was being fought over by two opposing forces. So it's a Manichaean setup. Yep. You got the good and evil. The good guys are led by He-Man, he right. Who is a big beefy guy with a sword and fur underwear.
1: He has this kind of dual identity like Superman. So he is, I don't know, prince or king of That's this. Prince Adam. He's Prince Adam. Okay. And then when trouble erupts, he gets his magic sword. And I still remember they're called Power of Grey Skull. And he transforms magically into... He-Man. Who looks exactly like he does, except wearing a lot less clothing.
2: Yeah, except for the fur underwear. It looks exactly and sounds exactly. It's not even like he takes off glasses. It's like it's the same guy and everyone's like, oh, there's He-Man. Where did Prince Adam go? I mean,
1: even Clark Kent loses his glasses.
2: Yeah. Right? So the good guys are led by He-Man. Big, beefy guy with a sword and fur underwear. The bad guys led by Skeletor. Big, beefy guy with a skull for a face and fur underwear. That's
1: how you know he's bad.
2: Yeah. And And he has
1: you miss the most important part, which is his purple cloak.
2: And he has a purple cloak. And some people might be saying, how could he be a skeleton and be a big, beefy guy? Well,
1: you only see his face because he isn't actually like... He-Man is basically naked.
2: Yeah.
1: He just has some kind of weird miniature... Tiny
2: little... little
1: armor thing. Yeah, the and tiniest then, little armor. And then, yeah, fur underwear and and leather furry boots.
2: Yeah. It's quite the... It was the 80s. <laughs> The entire endeavor was an attempt to cash in on the craze created by these Star Wars action figures. Because oh, Because that really? was a huge business. Like, that fundamentally changed the nature right. of toys. Right, okay.
1: I figured this was like a development of Conan the Barbarian.
2: Well, it was sort of... It, it was, felt like that. Yeah, it was It was sort of inspired by Conan, but the, the driving force was... I mean, this is why it's in space, and why they have, like, laser guns oh, okay. and spaceships, and also okay. have swords, and for underwear, it's a right. mess. It's a mess. It's awesome. And also... A mess was the characters that they had, because of course you need as many characters as possible. Right. So that kids will buy them. Right. So which was... I did.
1: I had like almost all of them.
2: Oh man. So tell me which of these you had. There was a character named Man at Arms. Oh see, I don't remember.
1: I remember He Man and his little ghosty thing. Orco. Orco. And there was of course his his uh cat leopard
2: Cringer. Was that cringer? Okay. Yep. You don't remember Man E faces? <laughs> a man of many faces? Who you'd like spin the top of his head and he'd have to Oh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Moss Man? Yes, I had Moss Man. Was very proud when he came out because you would throw him in the backyard and never find him again. It was...
2: Just... he looked like Moss. <laughs> that was a superpower to hide in the backyard. Merman? Yep. Snakeface. Don't remember Snake Face. Stinkor? Nope. Fisto? Okay,
1: maybe I just don't remember the names. I think I'd have to see the...
2: Well, I mean, you could imagine... Stinkor was actually... Like, the the toy was imbued with the smell of patchouli.
1: Oh, okay. They definitely did not have that.
2: And Fisto had a great big fist.
1: This is... Now that I'm hearing these names said out loud as an adult, I am getting a lot of subtextual vibes.
2: (laughs) Yes, especially from Fisto. All right, so there was also various vehicles and playsets that you could buy.
1: Right. I remember the, 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 the object of great lust and desire was... Skeletor's Castle.
2: Oh, uh, Snake Mountain.
1: Yeah. Yeah? Like, that was the coolest thing ever. And I didn't have it, but my friend had it. And I would go over there, and we would play for hours.
2: And one of the things that this plastic castle had was a little microphone. Do you remember right? this? Yes. And what happens when you talk in that microphone?
1: It, your voice sounded different. It yeah. was like, it was, I think it was supposed to be like Skeletor's voice or something.
2: We're going to come back to that in a second. Okay. When we play a clip from a documentary <laughs> in which a grown man talks into one of those microphones... Okay. You'll see. (laughs) Every week on the cartoon show, there'd be a new character or vehicle introduced, which would then, surprisingly, appear on toy shelves to buy. Right. Of course. There was basically no difference between the He-Man TV show and a 24-minute commercial for He-Man toys. Right. And this was actually kind of a new thing in the 1980s. According to a group called Action for Children's Television, or the ACT, studies indicated that children couldn't tell the difference between commercials and TV shows. This was this was back in the '60s when TV was really starting to take off, and people were worried. What is TV doing to kids? Right, because it was kind of a new thing. It's kind of like now we wonder what is social media doing to kids. Right, people were like, what is TV doing to kids? They can't tell the difference between a commercial and the show. Although,
1: to be fair, in the 60s, that was hard because it was often the presenters of the show who would flip into commercial mode. Like, you didn't have the obvious cutaways that you do today.
2: Yeah, you would have Fred and Barney on the Flintstones, and then Fred and Barney would, like, light up a Chesterfield cigarette. (laughs) So you're like, you know, when I've been eating Bronto burgers, I like the smell of a good cigarette. Well, because of things like that, the ACT petitioned the FCC... Who, of course, are in charge of broadcasting in the in the United States in the late 60s to enact rules to protect children from unscrupulous advertisers. Okay. Also known as advertisers. <laughs> yeah, okay. So they said no more than 14 hours of children's programming per week, because more than that is just it's too much TV for a kid to watch. No commercials during kids shows. They're too susceptible. And the hosts of kids shows like Fred and Barney couldn't push products like wow. cigarettes. Wow. This next part, it's not conspiracy. It's just politics. Okay. Ronald Reagan in the 1980s appointed a man named Mark Fowler to the FCC in 81, and Fowler wanted to let the market decide what kids' TV should look like.
1: Oh, that's not going to go well.
2: Well, I mean, this was sort of, this is what the 80s were, right? Right, sure. deregulation, deregulation of banks, which ended up with the savings and loan crisis. Yep. Deregulation of TV. Deregulation of everything. Let's just let the invisible hand of the market dictate what happens to everything right if, if your children choose to smoke at age eight Well, yeah, you well, know good for them So the ACT was still around and they're like, oh, no, so they put together 60,000 pages of studies that indicated that this would be a catastrophic idea. Yeah But the money was in favor of it 16 million dollars raised to lobby against ACT I mean, sure. there, I was, mean there, there was cereal to, to sell. a huge market. Exactly. Yeah. Cereal, toys, yeah, fast yeah, yeah. food. And this is why instead of educational programming, like think about our childhoods. They were filled to the brim with junk food and right. fast food right. and candy right? and toys. Wow. And they were all kind of tied together. Think about the cereals from our childhood. Yep. Now,
0: Pac-Man isn't just a game you play. It's a crispy corn cereal that's coming your way. Mm-hmm.
2: Shot, shot, delicious. Gary.
0: Too. We're marshmallow bits that you can chomp too. A delicious part of this nutritious breakfast.. <laughs> chomp, chomp,
2: like, what were those? Sugar?: Yeah. Sugar with like a mascot on the front. Right. Like booberry this and Frankenberry that and Count, Count Chocula. Count Chocula.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: I kind of want them now.
1: You can get them, some of them? Still?
2: Yeah, I guess. Uh, I don't think I would enjoy the taste of them now.
1: No, it's surprising how terrible they are. Yeah. Although there is that element of nostalgia.
2: Yeah, but as a kid, when we go on vacation, you get the little boxes of cereal. Yeah. And one of the boxes would be Fruit Loops. Yes. And my sisters and I would fight to the death over that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the loser would get Raisin Bran.
1: <laughs> I can see why you would fight hard.
2: So, I mean, it is it is interesting to see like the political manipulation and regulations, and the effect on children. And in the 1980s, because of this, you ended up with all of these TV shows that were basically just marketing exercises Mm -hmm. for G.I. Joe, for Thundercats, for Transformers. All of the TV shows radically changed. Instead of something like Rocky and Bullwinkle, which was...
1: That was good Soviet, anti-Soviet propaganda right right right
2: there. Boris and Natasha. So it was educational. It taught you to beware of Soviet spies. Now it's like Everything you saw on TV was just a big ad. Right. Rainbow Bright, uh, The Care Bears, mm-hmm. uh, My Little Pony. They were all just there to get kids to buy into the product. Right. But that's not the moral thread I want to talk about. Oh, okay. I want to talk about the work of the redundantly named Philip Phillips. <laughs> okay. He's a, he, was a, he still is a pastor and author of Turmoil in the Toy Box. Okay. Saturday Morning Mind Control. Okay. And dinosaurs, colon, the Bible, Barney and beyond. Is this the Barney guy? This is one of the Barney guys. Okay. In the 1980s, Phillips argued that there was a clear and present danger in these children's toys. But it wasn't that it was rotting their minds or that it was selling them sugary cereal. It was that these toys were a vehicle through which Satanism and demonic possession could travel.
1: Yeah, okay.
2: So here's how he figures this out. According to Phillips, he was traveling around preaching when he stopped into a toy store and he saw Skeletor. Oh, yeah. And he's like, hey, this, this toy has a, a staff in its hand, and at the top of a staff was a ram's skull, mm-hmm. which Phillips immediately recognized as an occult symbol. Okay. And so he bought the toy and started bringing it to his sermons to show everybody, hey, look, this is the danger that lurks in your toy box. Right. This toy is an occult figure. And one day, he's driving around with Skeletor in the backseat. And according to Phillips, to Philip Phillips, God says to him, Through toys like the one you have in the back seat of your car, Satan is gaining control of the minds of millions of children everywhere. I want you to do something about it.
1: Funny, God really is speaking differently these days than he did in the Bible. Like It yeah. was more succinct back then. Now it's like, I, I that thing you bought from Walmart in the back of
2: your car. Getting is, really specific. <laughs> and also, it's like, man, if you're going to talk to us, there's other threats. Yeah. There are other dangers. Yeah. It's like, okay, right, I'll, I'll, I'll deal with the Skeletor figurine. You got it. What Philip Phillips does is he starts putting out all of these books and videos. And the argument he makes in these books and videos, which, of course, he sold, is that the characters in these in the world of these toys, the characters have magic powers. Right. And the cartoons, yep. they have magic powers. So when you play with them, that's like a, a thing that's you play with. That's part of the narrative. It's part of the narrative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, Skeletor can cast spells and stuff. So, when kids play with the toys, they will accidentally cast spells on their friends and on themselves. Huh. And this brings up something that we talked about when we were talking about Witches and Moral Panics. What he's saying here is that magic is real.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he
2: believes in magic. He believes in the magic of Skeletor.
1: Like, to the point where you can accidentally cast spells.
2: Yeah. Like, if I have my Skeletor toy and you've got your He-Man toy and we're, like, fighting each other in the sandbox.
1: It'll be like a real witch's battle.
2: Yeah, and I'll be like, I cast this on you, and then because Skeletor has got real powers, I will actually cast that spell. I mean, this could be our, of course, our preconceived notions and our biases. But maybe to our detriment, I don't think you and I live in a world of magic.
1: No. You know, while you're talking about this, because it sounds like a bit of a It could be misconstrued, what you're saying, as a put-down of Christianity or whatever. But no less of a figure than St. Augustine railed against this kind of superstition that was rampant in his time. So St. Augustine is a church father. Uh, That is to say, he is like...
2: That was like 1,500 years ago.
1: 1,500 years ago and very central in terms of creating Catholic orthodoxy and what, quote-unquote, Christianity mainstream Christianity looks like, he found these superstitions to be really a detriment to the Christian evangelical movement. He didn't want to join when he wasn't a Christian because he's like, these guys don't know what
2: they're talking about. They're they're We're believing in magic.
1: Yeah. And he finally meets a guy who is, I guess, much more what we might call skeptical or, I don't know, less, just less mystical. And St. Augustine's who was at that point, of course, not a saint, thought, well, this is actually quite interesting stuff. So I think we, even within the tradition, oh, yeah. there I mean, are a lot of skeptics of this kind of idea.
2: Yeah, we can't say that Philip Phillips represents Christianity here. No. This is, if anything, I would argue that he's a bit of a scammer. Yeah, he's making money. Who is trying to manipulate. And we see this from any belief system. Yeah. We can see this from atheists. We can see it well, from exactly. like, like this, this kind of scamming and fearmongering, it, It's not universal within Christianity and it's also not contained within Christianity. Right, exactly. exactly. But this guy just happened to be using Christianity for sure. a Well,
1: and because he's in a Christian culture. Yeah. So, so that's what's so going to work.
2: That's, that's what you're going to scam. In addition, and we've already sort of mentioned this with all the fur underwear talk, some of the He-Man characters were scantily clad which could cause kids to have impure thoughts when playing with them. Uh huh. Weirdly, he also said that about E.T. That has never occurred to me. It's Never occurred to me either. If you haven't seen E.T., stop the podcast right now. Go look at a photograph of E.T. from the movie E.T. And I'm not, I'm not here to kink shame.
1: No, exactly.
2: But, but I don't see it. <laughs> no, I don't see it. I don't see it. <laughs> uh, also, and this is uh, something that, that we've come across before, associating Satan and Satanism with not Satanism itself, but just other religions. Right. So he argued that the toys were a way of introducing children to Eastern religions and philosophies.
1: This sounds verbatim like something that came up in a, a podcast recently. Yeah. Which would have been the cow mutilations.
2: Right, It yes, would be in the cattle mutilations. Right. Yep, that, uh, that makes sense because there, there was, again, there was pastors being like, right. why, this is Hinduism. Right, yeah, 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 right. That's that was it, that was yes, it. That's <laughs> the last religion you would expect to see doing cattle mutilations. You don't know your stuff. So, for example, Yoda. Okay. Was a Zen Buddhist.
1: Yeah, I mean, he kind of is, though. Yeah. Like, full on, like, he is definitely, I mean, that's within those science fiction worlds where The aliens are basically cultural others from uh, from Americans, right? Like the Klingons or some mashup of whatever. Well,
2: the the Klingons were Russians. Were they? Yeah. Originally, the 1960s Klingons were Russians. Okay. That was the point of them.
1: Yeah, I mean. The Vulcans are like, I don't know, Confucianists or something. Yeah, Uh,
2: Go back to J.R.R. Tolkien. Okay. Same thing. When we build fantasy worlds or when we build science fiction worlds, we tend to bring our world out into it. Right. And we kind of impose our world on those worlds. So, yeah. So, Yoda probably was. Inspired, say? Yeah, inspired. I wouldn't get my Zen Buddhist teachings from Yoda. No. But there was an inspiration there. But not Satanist. No. Because Buddhism isn't Satanism. No, unless, of
1: course, you have this reductive fundamentalist Christian belief system in which everything that is not Christian, that version of Christianity is Satanism.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's Manichaeanism. Yeah, it's like either on the good side or the bad side. If you're right. not on the good side, you must be on the side of of Satan. Uh, the Care Bears. Yeah, did you know them? I certainly did. I did not like them. Oh, because
1: huh. yeah, no, there was like no, there was this real divide in nineteen eighties cartoon culture uh-huh. where it was very gendered for one. Yep. So obviously, He-Man was for boys. There Manly was boys. a there was a version, uh, Shira for. For girls, but really it was the Care Bears and My Little Pony that was for girls. And then G.I. Joe and He-Man was for boys.
2: Yeah, so you were not, so when the Care Bears were on, you're like, oh man, I'm a boy. Yeah, it was the worst. And
1: I'd have to watch it because there wasn't anything else Oh, you had to watch it. I had to watch it. Right, you were forced to watch it. I was forced to because I had a specific allotment of television time. Right. And that happened to be on during, uh, there was nothing else. Better that than
2: nothing. Exactly. So you know who the Care Bears really were, according to Philip Phillips. Who? They were channeling chi through their bellies <laughs> when they did the Care Bear stare. <laughs> so, I
1: guess we should say chi here is this idea. I think you could probably locate it, yeah, or in Chinese culture, you get it in Tai Chi and Qi Gong, which is basically. Uh, and, and in uh, acupuncture and acupressure, it's this the sense that there's a mystical energy. The that, force. The force that animates humanity. And that, yeah, you could manipulate it for health or for winning combat or whatever. And yeah, okay,
2: so... Or for defeating the enemies of the Care Bears. So
1: the Care Bears are like Qigong masters. Yes,
2: exactly. I love it. Therefore, Satanists, now uh, we'll get to your beloved Smurfs. Okay, Uh, A couple things about them. I'd forgotten about them already. You know why they're blue? Because they're animated corpses is why. Really? And they're communists. Right. And they practice incantations and normalize witchcraft. Mm -hmm. Now, this idea that the Smurfs were practicing witchcraft, that really gets caught up in the Jehovah's Witness community of the 1980s. Okay. To the point that there was a story circulating in that community that the toys themselves, this is getting even more amplified... The toys themselves were coming to life and biting children. Okay. Which led to mass Smurf burnings. Imagine what that would have smelled like.
1: Wow. You know, that I wished so badly as a young child, like I'm talking about the age of five or six. I remember walking in a forest and some older person, I don't know if it was an older kid or an adult, had said that if I was really good, the Smurfs would come to life. And I wished so badly that this would happen. And I remember just that feeling of wanting the Smurfs to just my toys to come to life. Oh, that's the
2: sweetest story. That's amazing. But if they had... Then, yeah, and then they bite me. Then they bite you. <laughs> and then a bunch of people would have run in and threw them in a big fire. And it would have been the worst day of their young life. So I guess it was good
1: that yeah. it didn't happen.
2: <laughs> well, because uh, allegedly it did happen to a kid. Okay. Allegedly, allegedly a Smurf that was brought to a church service started swearing <laughs> and then jumped out of the child's arms, ran out of the church in a panic, yelling, I've had enough of this shit. That's what the Smurf apparently did, thereby proving that <laughs> oh, Smurfs are it. filled with demons.
1: Or awesome.
2: Yeah. So why? Why would any of this be happening? I mean, on the one hand... From our belief system, it's like, what were all these toys for? To sell cereal and to sell plastic toys and to get people to watch TV. Like, that's what they were for. But according to Philip Phillips, Many of these writers and creators came out of the 1960s generation and the drug era, during which they were involved in Eastern religions, such as Hinduism and Buddhism. Some are still involved in these practices. Many live in Hollywood. The very nature of Hollywood leads to a hedonistic way of living, which often involves meditation, drugs, and Eastern religious influences. Uh-huh. So there you go.
1: Cultural chauvinism, racism, fear of the other,
2: packed up in a moral panic like it always is. Yeah, but there was more. Oh, really? According to the Advanced Training Institute, which is uh, sort of a, a fundamentalist Christian sect, do you remember Cabbage Patch Kids? Yes. So they were designed, according to this group, to satisfy the desire of people to have children. And you know what that would do? That would prevent them from having human babies. You wouldn't need one. You already had this doll. Right. And then the population would become extinct. And that was their plan the whole time. Right. In a 1996 newsletter. That's not that long ago. No. I mean, it is. That but, way, but it was within like our adult life. Yeah. Which is kind of scary. So in this newsletter titled, How the Exit of Trolls and Dolls Was Followed by the Entrance of Babies... Amazing title. Wow. (laughs) The ATI, Advanced Training Institute, argued that the presence of troll dolls or cabbage patch kids would actually prevent babies from emerging from their mothers. So if you're having a child at home... my jaw just dropped. If you're having a baby at home, if you're having a home birth, and there are troll dolls or cabbage patch kid dolls... You will not have a baby. That baby's not coming out. Unless you take those dolls and you burn them, in which point they will scream... And that baby will come out. <coughs> Science. Oh. Wow. So I watched a documentary with Philip Phillips. And we're just going gonna to play some of it now, including one of uh, the pastors in this talking through that Skeletor microphone, trying to summon Skeletor. So we're going to play some of that now here. I watched an hour and a half of this for you guys. <laughs> I watched it so that you don't have to but if you want to it's called Deception of a Generation and you can find the entire thing on YouTube so here's a little taste of it
0: so we can assume that millions of children that you say watch these programs are having their minds transformed from reading the Word of God or believing what the Bible says to believing what the cartoons are saying they have that kind of influence on their mind right they're taking on many gods many gods Well, let's, look at, a, let's look at what this is spawning in our toy stores each cartoon Is spawning little toys that represent the cartoon. Is that correct? Right. All right, then I'm going to show you a He Man figure here. And he's got this, uh, what do you call this sword here? Uh, Well, that's the sword of power. But as we've talked about He Man, he becomes transformed. Now, from He Man, we need to take a look at Skeletor. Okay, now this is the He Man, a muscular figure and Mm -hmm. so forth that mostly little boys follow, I take it? Right. But the little girls have someone, too. Oh, many little girls play with this. Toy. Oh, really? yeah. Well, let's look at Skeletor. Now, we've got him up on our screen. And Skeletor is this ugly-looking uh, skeletal creature with a staff in his hand. Now, what's that staff that he's got in his hand? The staff is a ram's head staff. Now, the ram's head is a very occultic symbol. It's boiled in cauldrons. It's used in different occult practices. But when it's seen on the staff, it's called a noroc. And when the norok is pictured in occult books many times it's pictured with the butt of the staff crushed onto the head of a dove now skeletor introduces most of the occult within the toy series he has the ability to mind control to levitate to astroproject, project and and to do many other occult practices and pagan religion practices so you're telling me little boys for instance could watch skeletor with his staff of power here and they could and you say this was actually used to crush a, a a dove that represents total satanic power of course we know that the goat's head the ram's head represents satan anyway in the yeah. occult so little boys are really being programmed to evil and where does skeletor live well skeletor lives in Ethernia with he-man now Ethernia is a good world that they live in and we'll we'll see some things about ethernia a little later on now who lives in snake mountain well skeletor lives in snake mountain could we talk about snake mountain for sure a let's take a look at it now we we have a toy that we got at the store which is uh, called simply snake mountain i thought i'd get this toy up here if we can get that on the screen and uh here's the snake and all i mean this is definitely an occultic toy and it's got an interesting little feature here i'm going to turn it on It can actually transform your voice from uh, your regular voice to that of an occultic hero. Is that correct? So let's get a Skeletor type of voice. Let me turn this on here. I I think I'm getting it too loud. Skeletor,
2: the master of the universe. So yeah. (laughs) So yeah. So yeah. (laughs) That happened. So that happened. But I want to come back to this in a full episode because I want to talk about these scammers that are trying to capitalize on fear, specifically in the 1980s. Yeah. Because, as we will see, there was some absolutely... It's one thing to burn a bunch of Smurfs, but there were some, like, legit, awful consequences of these fear merchants... Yeah. ...trying to raise moral panics.
1: All right.